you can't switch back and forth and back and forth from mindset of this to mindset of that. It takes too much bandwidth. So you need to section off your days or section off parts of your days so that your mind is on one section of your business and nothing else. You're not bouncing back and forth. Welcome everybody to the Chris Harder Show, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success, knowing that when good people like you make good money, they can then do great things. My name is Chris Harder, and several times per week, I will bring you epic guests, solo episodes, and every single tool, trick, and skill set you need to grow your business, grow your money mindset, and to grow your wealth to levels that you have never reached before. I've ended up in a unique place in life where I've got the experience, the connections, and all of the secrets that it takes to be successful. And I'm lifting the curtain to reveal it all to you in an effort to help put you in a position of abundance so great that you can then be as generous as possible. So let's lock arms and let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Chris Hunter Show, where we absolutely believe that both prosperity and generosity can and must coexist. So today you kind of get let in on a special treat. A lot of times I do teaching and I speak and I get interviewed at different masterminds. And you might remember there's a mastermind that Lori and I started years ago called Fast Foundations for businesses that are between zero and $500,000. And the last time I went and spoke there, we did a Q&A with the talented entrepreneurs who are in the room. They all got to ask me questions. Well, I thought there were so many good questions that came out of that round. There was so much good learning that was done through the questions and answers that I thought I would share it with you guys. So you are about to eavesdrop. You're about to drop in on this round of Fast Foundations and be able to hear the types of things that we talk about and the types of things that we teach in there. Lots of information, lots of inspiration. And if you like what you hear at the end, you can go check out the next round coming up by going to fastfoundations.com forward slash Chris. There's even a personal video from me there talking about it. Again, go to fastfoundations with an S at the end, dot com forward slash Chris. Again, check it out at fastfoundations.com forward slash Chris. All right, enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think. Everybody give a round of applause for Chris. Before... Before I give this mic to him and we take it from there, real quick, would you mind just giving us three to five minutes or so story on what it was like to be in that last mastermind room that you were in with Brendan Bouchard? Did you guys see that? Do you follow, Chris? Just to be a fly on the wall in that room would be insane. I mean, that's got to be a table worth $10 billion or something crazy, right? So... I think it would bring all of us a lot of just like joy and thinking big and looking forward. If you could share just a little bit about what that was like before we hop in. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. I love every time I get to see you guys. The last time I got to see you guys was what Laguna? Laguna, right? Yep. So it's good to see your faces again. We practice what we preach. We're the biggest believers ever of masterminds. I think it's the fastest way to learn and to grow and to get past whatever you have to get past, both personally and from a business perspective. Brendan, we've been doing a lot of things with Brendan lately. He signed Lori to his new podcast network, et cetera, et cetera. And every year he pulls together a group of about 25 to 35 individuals. Now, here's how cool this guy is. He pays for the whole thing himself. So on his dime, multiple six figures, 
brings everybody in, sets it up at a beautiful place. This one happened to be by his home in Napa. And we go around the table just like this and say, here's what's working for me. And here's where I'm struggling. And then we problem solve as a group the here's where I'm struggling. Now, there was nothing else, no presentation, no speakers, no anything else other than tapping in to the genius of your peers in a round table type of session just like this. That was the most transformative, the most valuable use of three days I have ever had in my entire life. And so I commend you guys for doing the exact same thing right now, sitting around a U-shaped table. Matter of fact, it was interesting because my mastermind that I run, the Elite Mastermind, we had gotten away from U-shaped tables, not on purpose. It just happened in one venue, kind of classroom style, and we never went back. And I forgot the power of actually having to look each other in the eye instead of looking at the back of, of heads in front of you in rows. I'd forgotten the power of that. So walking away from this, it was so transformative, even that piece alone, it reminded me that every single mastermind I do from here on out is going to be a U-shaped table. So much power comes from that connection of looking somebody in the eye and seeing their struggle and, and solving whatever it is that you guys need to solve as a group. I've got a really funny story because you said, would you please tell us what it was like? Did anybody have any imposter syndrome when they came into the room for the very first time? Like, be honest. Good. Most of you. That means you're in the right room, right? A room that's going to stretch you. Well, Lori and I had the exact same thing. No matter where you go, no matter what you've accomplished, that piece never goes away if you're doing the right thing and always stepping up into new, higher rooms. So what didn't make the imposter syndrome any better, and I have to start by saying this, the group couldn't be kinder, couldn't be more welcoming. This was our first one. They've already done this for a few years. So we were like the new kids, right? They couldn't be kinder. They couldn't be more welcoming. They couldn't be sweeter. They couldn't be like better humans on the planet. I want to start by saying that. But nonetheless, first lunchtime comes around and Lori and I, our inner fat kids show up. So we rush to the front of the, the lunch line and we grab our meals and we go, we sit down at a table. We're the first two to sit down at a table. There's maybe five or six round tables in the, the lunchroom. And then somebody else sits at a different table and people congregate around them. And someone else sits at a different table and people congregate around them. And someone else sits at another table and people, and Lori looks at me, she goes, are you freaking the fuck out right now too? I go, my inner middle schooler is throwing a goddamn fit right now. And all those old wounds come up. And it's normal. Like, who wouldn't want to go sit around Jay Shetty to find out what he's doing for his book launch? Who wouldn't want to go sit around Jamie Kern Lima to find out, you know, hey, how'd you sell your, your company for 1.2 billion? Who wouldn't want to sit around Mel Robbins and say, hey, wh why is your show the top five in the world right now? And what did you learn when you just went to Apple? And they said, hey, look behind the curtain. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we want. Like, of course, people would rather go sit around those individuals to learn the best, most cutting edge things that are being done right now. And so that's what these two incredible human beings do is they do the exact same thing. They bring in people who are hopefully a few steps ahead of what you guys are aiming to be at and ask them, hey, lift the curtain, share what's going on. Tell us not what worked yesterday, that's important, but more importantly, what are you doing for tomorrow? What do you see coming so we can get the jump on it too? And those are the kind of Q&A questions that I would love to have with you guys today. No questions are off limits. 
You can ask about things that I learned in that room. You can ask about things that we're doing coming up. You can ask about things that people in the Elite Mastermind are doing. You can ask about the companies that we invest in, what they're doing for their marketing right now. Or you can ask about your personal lives. But I want to make sure that this time spent is the most quality time spent possible so that each of you leave with something that really moved the needle. All right, who's first? Go for it. Hey, Chris. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Good. So I've heard you talk at previous meetings that we've had that your workday is rather unique in the sense that it's kind of like a, a five-hour sprint of just heads down. And one of the things we talked about in our last session is with this new venture that I'm in, in a you know startup company, building out the whole sales and marketing program and such like that. I feel a lot of ball, ball, squirrel going on in my life. Like there's so many things I want to work on at once. And then it's kind of, uh, kind of steamrolls and, you know, you got the dogs coming in, you got, no, Lindsay's got a question. My question is this, is how do you true? I mean, you've got a puppy now too. I mean, how do you sit down and just focus for five hours? I mean, how do you structure that? And, and how do you mentally maintain it? So the first thing is you've got to get all of your potential obstacles that you know might be trouble. You got to get them out of the way. So in my example, right now, mom is watching the two dogs because I know I don't have the ability. If I wasn't here, if I'm on Zooms or if I'm on podcast interviews, I don't have the ability to be like, oh, sorry, can you hold that thought? Let me go let bonkers out, right? That, that doesn't cut it. So thinking of what's going to throw me off and then how do I mitigate that? That's number one. That has to be number one for all of you guys. Because you kind of already know what's going to throw you guys off. You just haven't taken that next step of saying, how do I preemptively mitigate every single one of these things that's going to take me out of my routine? The second piece then is you can't switch back and forth and back and forth from mindset of this to mindset of that. It takes too much bandwidth. So you need to section off your days or section off parts of your days so that your mind is on one section of your business and nothing else. You're not bouncing back and forth. You would be amazed at how much efficiency you lose when you're switching. I'll use myself, for example, from doing a quickie podcast to doing a coaching call to jumping on with my app team. That would be a disastrous day right there because once you're in the mode, you need to run with that momentum. Does that make sense? So I, I block my days off. For example, Wednesday is almost all Frello. That's my peer-to-peer lending app that I'm building. All the meetings fall on Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. Mondays are admin days. So I'm not booking any coaching calls, mastermind calls, meetings, none of that on, on Mondays. Instead, that's my day to catch up on emails, make sure I've got everything taken care of, whether it's finances, et cetera, anything admin so I can get a good start on the week. So you need to take a look at your venture, take a look at everything that you've got going on and figure out how could you block these off. We've been doing this since like the Romans ruled the world. Back when we were building Isogenics and Lori had her fitness brand and I had a coaching brand, I realized bouncing back and forth didn't work. So we would say, hey, on Tuesdays and Thursdays is when you can book a call. And I had this fear like, oh God, what if they can't book a call during that time? But guess what? If you uphold your boundaries, people choose from what you give them to choose from. And I've seen this example play out time and time again. So you can't let scarcity make you throw yourself and pull yourself out of your routine. 
Yeah, because I find myself touching a lot of things, finishing very few. And when you, I'm a list person. So when I look back at the end of my day at my list and there's all kinds of stuff still on there, I don't feel like I've accomplished a whole lot because of that ball, ball squirrel. And I'm not, you know, I probably need to lock the dogs out of my office. I kind of like having them in there, but then again, they can be a big distraction. I've got, you know, we got the hungry, hungry hippo who wants a treat about every hour. That's Brooklyn. And uh, so, yeah, I think removing the distractions as tough as that might be is probably a big piece of that right there. And then I, I don't like to call it time blocking. I don't know why I hate time blocking. I just call it blocks of time now. That works. <laughs> that works. Guys, one more thing I want to add to this is you got to know your work style. So my preferred work style is to put my head down and not look up until five o'clock. And I can do that. That's just how I'm built. Lori would turn into a pile of rubble if she did that. She knows that she needs to work in mini sprints. She's got two good hours in her and then has to go physically move herself to a different location, take a quick walk, switch workplace locations or something like that. And that's what works best for her. So she's getting two or three couple hour blocks out of each day. I'm getting a five or six hour block straight. I heard somebody say that they want to be held accountable to eating lunch. Was it you, Sarah? That's a real thing. Like I just put my head down and then at the end of the day, I look up and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't eat today. I forgot to have lunch. And one thing I could do better would be building in a break or something like that for myself into my calendar so that everything else gets built around it. Because what you guys put in your calendar first will dictate the windows where other things can fall. So if you're not putting the things that are most important in your calendar first, then you're already setting yourself up to fail. There's a reason we have protected time in the morning. That's where we're putting ourselves first. Wake up, mantra, prayer, walk, workout. Now I've got a new thing in my calendar. I don't have my phone up here, but if I pulled it up from 10.30 to 11 every single day, it says workday warm-up with like this little trophy emoji on it. That's 30 minutes of putting on a podcast or putting on a book related to the work that I'm about to do that day to get me into the mind frame of being the best version of myself for what I'm going to do that day. That wouldn't happen if it wasn't in my calendar. It does happen because it's in my calendar and everything else gets booked around it. Thank you. That's great, actually. Great first question. Who's next? Hi, Marina. I am grateful to be back in this room. So last time we spoke, I was talking, I had this idea because Christina shared it of creating a podcast. And you're like, you need to have video with your podcast. So I took that, hit the ground running. I launched the podcast. We have video. Everything's great. I have my course. All my clients are happy. Everybody's like succeeding and all the things. Okay. I'm creating consistent content. I'm at a place and I don't know, am I just being impatient I'm just not doing the right thing to move the needle faster when it comes to generating more money. I'm doing the things. I'm in the rooms. You need to work backwards to find out where your plan is breaking down. So start with the big picture. Mm -hmm. I want to make what? $400,000. Okay. Which was like the number that we played around in Laguna. Perfect. I like the dream life. I want to make $400,000. Okay. You have to first work backwards from there to create a plan of where's that $400,000 going to come from, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you've done, right? Mm-hmm. So can you give me a rough idea? What are your products and 
how much of, of that is going to make up the 400 grand? I can't tell you exactly, but it'll be course, like it'll be 20 students in my course, 40 students in my retreat, mastermind throughout the year, two consulting clients. I have like five speaking engagements. Okay, good. Now, if that adds up to 400 grand, so far we're good. We haven't found any leaks yet. You have to then schedule that out in a launch calendar to find out when are you going to be building up propaganda and hype for that? And then when are you going to be enrolling or opening cart so that you can fulfill whatever number of clients it takes per launch. So if you don't have a a plan, then it's going to feel very haphazard and and your numbers aren't going to come true. Then if you've got that in place and the conversions aren't happening, you have to take a look and say, do I not have enough audience to create enough leads or am I not converting the leads at the rate that I need to? So these are three categories that you need to audit and work backwards from conversions. Are you converting a decent percentage of your leads? If the answer is yes, then move to the number of leads. Do I have enough leads so that the math works out that if I'm converting 20% of them, I hit the sales that I want? Yes, move to audience. No, move to, right? If you don't have enough leads, then you got to say, do I have enough audience to earn me the number of leads to get the conversions that I need to hit the numbers that I need? And most of you in here probably have an audience problem. Most of you, if, if there's one thing that would remedy everything that, that you want to accomplish, it's audience. I've probably said it in, in front of you before. There's a certain percentage of your audience that's always going to buy from you. They are raving fans. You could put out the dumbest product at the worst price. Not that you ever would because you're all in integrity, but I'm just saying like, this is how true this bell curve is. You could put out the shittiest product at the worst price and some people are going to buy it because it's you. And then on the other end of that bell curve, you could put out the best product in the world with the best sales page and it could be the best bargain in the world. And some people aren't going to buy it because it's you. And what makes you good or not is what you do with those people in between. How many of those leads, how, many, how much of that audience can you effectively capture? So if this bell curve holds true, then the only thing that you can do logically, if you're good at capturing the percentage in between, is grow the bell curve. Grow the amount of audience that you have. Think about it. If you've got an audience of 1,000 and 10% are guaranteed to buy from you every time, then you know for a fact that you're going to be able to sell 100 widgets. If you feel stuck and you want to sell 500 widgets, it's time to do one of two things. Figure out how to sell more of the people in between, higher conversions, or figure out how to grow the audience from 1,000 people to 5,000 people and you'll have your 500 widgets. So in all of that, where do you think you're breaking down? So the conversion is, or when someone applies to join my course, 99% of them join. That's good. It's so That's good. so good. I've, I never really get pushback. Like everybody's really good. I think it's the leads which is my follow-up question because you talked about your launch strategy and that's the one thing that we were just talking about what I wanted to focus on for the 90 days of just figuring out where the hell like my marketing strategies and efforts are going for what products and services throughout the year. I was not getting enough leads for my course and I was like, I'm just going to do evergreen and have it where anybody can enroll throughout the year to take the pressure off of me. Like I was like just hating the live launching 
and it worked in January because I, <laughs> I opened doors in January and everybody signed up to work with me for the year. But now I'm like, I've never done just like evergreen. So do you have a preference of evergreen or live launching? Is there a reason why you go live launching? Is it just the... Yes, yes, and yes. This is very powerful. It takes a lot, a lot of expertise and dialing in to sell any quantity of anything evergreen. Do you guys know the difference between evergreen and launch, right? Evergreen, at any given time, somebody can trip across your sales page, you're driving leads to it, and they're buying on any random Tuesday of any random week of any random month. That's evergreen. Launch is from this time to this time, carts opening, carts closing, and whatever I sell in there, then that's what I'm going to capture until my next launch. The reason I'm not a fan of evergreen, and I've seen it work great, but the reason I'm not a fan of it is most people don't take the time to dial in that sales page and dial in that customer journey and dial in that lead magnet and then dial in their ads over and over and over and over again until it starts printing money while you sleep. Most of you go as far as setting it up and say, oh, it didn't work. I knew it. Some of you go further. Some of you go back to the drawing board. You, you change your sales page and you change your lead magnet and you say, ah, it's still not working. I knew it. I've got a friend. Her name is Ashley Stahl. Anyone know who Ashley Stahl is? Several years back, she was an expert in how to interview and set up your resume better. She built a course for $1,000 on how to do that. She wanted to sell it evergreen, but she knew to perfect the webinar that would convert the leads to hit the sales goals that she wanted. She knew she had to sign up to do that damn webinar as many times as it took, tweaking it each time until it finally hit. So do you know how many times she did that webinar live until it finally hit? 91. 91 live webinars in a row, recording each one, changing something each time, watching her own webinar each time, tweaking this, tweaking that, 91 times in a row until it finally hit. Now, show of hands. Be real with yourself because this could be a breakthrough. Don't put your hand up to impress me. This is about you. How many of you would have done that webinar 91 times in a row, watching it and tweaking it and watching it? Look around. So this doesn't mean you're broken. You're just like everybody else. What it means is you're not outstanding, meaning you are not standing out from anybody else in the room but she was. She was willing to do the monotony of that boring ass webinar. Nine, you know, you would be like to watch it, your, your own webinar 91 times. <laughs> like, like that should be like some terrorist torture or something, <laughs> but she did it. So that's what it takes to succeed in evergreen. If you don't want to have that type of diligence, then launching is going to be your best bet. And the reason people don't like launching, I'm going to guess, is because it feels tiresome. I mean, I love it when I have a lot of sales. Yep. I'm like totally fine when that's rolling. But when it sucks, it's like you only have that. It's just so much pressure, you know, yep. like you just get anxiety and there's you literally have those like 30 day window. Yeah. And then it feels like it's over. Yep. People give up on launching or they want to go evergreen because it feels like an exhausting sprint. You're lying on the ground afterwards. You've got anxiety the whole time. 
Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But it doesn't mean just because it starts to feel tiring and just because you lost a couple of times, doesn't mean you say, eh, I guess launching is not my thing. Maybe I should try evergreen. But then not do what it takes to be evergreen. And this, herein lies the problem. Every single one of you are so damn talented at what you do. You just haven't found that next rare gear that hardly anybody finds. There's nothing holding you guys back other than sticking with the plan and continuing to craft that plan until it totally hits for you. So that was a long answer to your question that I personally prefer launching, even though it's exhausting, even though sometimes you lose, even though it gives you anxiety and the, the preparation leading up to it. And then when there's nobody buying in the, I call it no man's land, right? Everyone buys when you open cart and everyone buys when you close cart and there's like nothing trickling in in between. You're like, oh, it's a disaster. I have a, a text thread going right now for somebody in my elite mastermind who is launching right now. And this was her first time spending a significant amount of money on ads. She's always done a natural, more organic launch. And she wanted next level results. So if you want something different, you have to do something different. She went out and she hired somebody to do her ads for you. And the ads drove in three times as many leads as she's ever had before. And coming right out of the gates on the first day, text after text, holy shit, it's working. I've never had so many sales in the first day. I can't believe this. This is the best thing ever. I'm so glad that you talked me into doing this ad spend. Day two, nothing. Day three, hey, I'm starting to worry. Sales have slowed down. Day four, 6 a.m. in the morning, I see the text. I don't know, answer it till 11. But 6 a.m. in the morning, I see the text. I'm panicking over here. I think this was a mistake, blah, 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 blah. It's turned off. Something's broken. Today is her close of cart. You want to know what today's text messages were? Oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever. Sales are pouring in. I, I'm so glad you told me it was going to work. That's a, it's a real mind fuck. Right. And that's why people give up. You got to choose. You want to do the webinar 91 times or you want to ride the roller coaster? Both of them are correct answers, but you got to do one of them and you can't get off. Good question. What's up, Chris? I'm Danny. I'm grateful that you are also open about the fact that you also go into rooms and just feel most of the same feelings we feel, all the same feelings. Question around, you and Lori both have very successful podcasts and you get the chance to be in rooms with a lot of those people also had podcasts. What are some of the things that you guys are seeing now that are helping people grow their podcasts and stand out now that more people have podcasts? Like, what are the big, like, I know there's not one thing. No, there is. There is. The algorithm, both of life, meaning how you train people to behave when you've got a product, and literally for Spotify and iTunes, they want daily content. Lori and I are about to drop something called the Daily Abundance, a two-minute recording. I'll record them when I have time. She'll record them when she has time. But two to three minutes of our day so that we can add in daily content to tilt the algorithm of the tech platforms and the algorithm of the listeners, the human behavior in our favor. And it's very obvious why this works. When I go to listen to a podcast, I go to one of my favorite people, right? I'm like, all right, what does Gary Vee have? What does Rob Deerdeck have? What does, and if there's not something new, I'm like, God damn it. I already listened to that one yesterday. I didn't like the title of that one. And I'm, I'm literally upset that there's nothing from that person for me to listen to. Now, what does Gary do better than anyone else? Every day, 
there's a new podcast. So every day I know I can count on him to have something that I want to listen to when I need to get fueled up. If I can't count on you daily, then I'm probably going to, to, to stray from you and go find somebody that I can count on daily. So literally the, the algorithm on the platforms and the algorithm of the listeners, they demand that you serve them daily if you really want to stand out and you really want to have a show that takes off. Now, good news, this doesn't mean that you have to suddenly be recording seven days a week. Lewis just taught us his podcasting plan right now. And Jim, you know a lot of what he's doing. They've turned, Brendan's is a daily fire. Jay's is a daily Jay. What's Lewis's? Daily motivation is what it is. All those daily motivations, they're clips from his past 2,000 some shows, you know, five, six, seven minute clips from those shows. He's repurposing content he already had. Now, some of you are like, dude, I'm on episode 10. Not much for me to repurpose. But others of you, you might be at episode 100 and people have already forgotten how good that one mic drop moment is from episode six. Go cut it out. Make that your daily whatever. This almost goes back to the webinar thing. And by the way, I'm always talking to myself as I talk to you guys. It's not difficult to stand out. It's difficult to build the machine and hold yourself accountable to getting it started. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you plan to multi-purpose that and put that into like video content? I know last time you said that was like your biggest regret was not having video of all these things. Biggest regret. Over half the people in the room for the mastermind that I went to earned multiple seven figures just from YouTube ads. Just There's a button you can turn on. Yes, I want ads on my channel. Seven figures shows up. My biggest regret is that we didn't bother to make that a priority at all. Now, we've got a good reason why. We didn't want a lifestyle where we had to be in a certain studio in a certain city to make sure that we got that. So this was a conscious choice. But nonetheless, it's still a big regret because we could just turn on the ads. I mean, I don't even know that. I think I have a YouTube channel, I think. I don't know that there's anything on it. So it's a big priority for us to finally start making that a priority in a way that fits our schedule. And we're talking basic. Here's my plan. Ready? It's a little stand. Lori just bought them with an extra iPhone facing this way. And then my regular iPhone facing this way and talking to Zoom so we can get some different angles and do it in different parts of whatever house we happen to be in. At least we have video content that can then be put on YouTube, cut into YouTube shorts, put on Instagram as reels, put on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, along with the long form episode that'll land on all the audio platforms. But we, you'll see coming out of us this year, you're, you're already seeing it out of Lori. You're going to see a recommitment to a lot of content. I haven't wanted to do content the last couple of years. I just wanted to coast. My dad died. I didn't realize how depressed I was. You know, I thought depression was you wake up every single day and you're like sad, like, oh, I'm depressed, right? I understand in some ways it's that way. But for me, I didn't wake up that way. So I thought, well, I'm not depressed. Now I realize that my version of it was not wanting to do anything other than the bare minimum. The bare minimum to keep the show going, the bare minimum to keep my commitments to other people, the bare minimum, bare minimum, bare minimum. Now that has been a couple of years, I'm like rubber band pulled back, got a million different things I want to do. Can't wait to be a content machine again. And it feels really good to be back there because that's who I was prior to June of 2020. 
So you go through stages. Some stages you're not going to feel like doing what it takes to get content. Other times you are. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Christina. I am grateful. I'm actually grateful for your Dan Martell episode yesterday. Isn't he awesome? I listened to it and I like cried on the plane, like just because how emotional he was. So yeah, it's a great episode. So people should listen to it. I have kind of a two-parter, so I'm going to just, I'm just going to go for it. But the first piece is kind of, you're talking about getting in in the right rooms and getting around people. How do you find the right rooms to be in? And I, I think like, this is an amazing room, like, and I'm so grateful to be here and I've gotten so much from the rounds we've done, but curious about like what the next year or five look like and finding those spaces. And then I'll tell you my part two after you answer that. This is such a great question. You have to proactively search for them. Ask people, hey, have you ever been in a mastermind that you love? Have you ever been to an event that you love? You need to Google for them. You need to literally wake up and say, if the next year I want to be in some new rooms to get new ideas, I need to be my own advocate and ask every single entrepreneur, self-development, whatever person I know, what they've gone to that they like, and then go dip your toes in it. A second part of that answer could also be build the room that you wish existed. Now, this is sometimes tough because a lot of the times your goal is to get into a room that really stretches you. But sometimes it's good to be in a room that just supports you. That could be a small quarterly meeting where you and nine other people you've chosen all throw a little bit of money into a pot and go meet up in a destination. And I think your best case scenario would be a little bit of both. I think it'd be getting into some kind of mastermind or series of events that scares the shit out of you and causes you to up level. And simultaneously is a small pocket of people you know that you can count on and be vulnerable with and have a scheduled check-in to keep each other going for accountability. Love that. We were joking this morning about having a Canadian version of Fast Foundations called Slow Foundations. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, stay tuned. Jim wanted to put, like, a bunch of Canadian, like, stereotypes in it, like, yeah, hockey and Tim Hortons and stuff. And then when you're in those rooms, so I, I feel really blessed, like, in our business, like, being in rooms like this and other rooms we're in, like, we do t- typically get a lot of business from them. So we typically have, like, there's lots of people in this room, thank you, who pay us, which I'm grateful for. How do you balance the, like, friendship, building these, like, amazing, strong, like, relationships and partnerships with people while also doing business when stuff can get messy or we are exchanging money and things like that? Marina sent me an email with a bo- with bolded words. I was upset. <laughs> We don't have the bold feature in Canada. That's what we said. So, yeah. (laughs) This is a great question, you guys. There's some people that have straight up told me that they joined my mastermind because they know they'll get sales in it. And I applaud them. As long as they have a great service that I approve of, I applaud. What a great, brilliant lead strategy when you're an agency. And it works. Another reason for you to invest in to be in a lot of rooms is you just walk around collecting clients. But the answer to your question is contracts keep friends. Mm. This is very important for all of you to realize. Contracts keep friends. If you don't have it in a written contract, then it's up for interpretation. It's up for misunderstanding. It's up for contention. But when it is a clearly written contract, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I, here's what's happening if we've got a dispute and here's what it cost. Then There won't be any blurred lines between friends and clients. And here's the best part. You can be both. Yeah. So the friend side of you supports them and kicks them back in the game when they're having 
you know, doubts about their business. The friend side of you says, hey, how's it going at home? The friend side of you says, let's go take a hike and do some brainstorming together. The friend side of you refers them a client. Business side of you says, oh, you, you want me to post for you? That's $10, motherfucker. <laughs> okay, I love that. I have like 300 questions I want to ask you. So I'm not going to ask you anything pertinent to our business. I'm also obviously like everyone here fascinated about your your journey and things like that. We can see all the history and follow you on the podcast. But what I'm interested to ask you is kind of going back to what we just did, because I'm pretty interested in what are you worried about right now over the next 90 days? And what are you looking forward to? Define what am I worried about? Do you mean like, am I worried about the economy? Am I worried about Russia? Or do you mean like, what I mean, am I worried about in terms of my goals? Whatever affects that. I mean, maybe in some businesses like Russia doesn't affect that, but Russia's kicking my butt right now on energy prices and energy, you know, in, in Europe and it's making all my costs go up. So, I mean, however you interpret it. I'm worried that I don't have enough capital to take advantage of all of the opportunities that are in front of us right now and that are going to be in front of us coming up. I love transitional economies because when people panic, opportunity is created. One of the most simplest versions of opportunity is solving whatever they are afraid of solving whatever their, their problem is. People are always like, ooh, I want a thriving economy. That's what I'm going to do well. Actually, no. In a thriving economy, everybody is doing so well that there's tons of competition and it's hard to stand out. And why would they choose you over choosing him, right? But in tough economies, when everybody kind of hides back in the dark a little bit and they pull back on their advertising and they pull back on their budgets, that's when it's easy for you to lean into it and to stand out way more. Advertising becomes cheaper. So put more money in it, not less. The ability to stand out and be seen becomes easier if you're a bright light when everything else is dark. And at the end of the day, there are so many opportunities created that will require capital and or bandwidth. You need to make sure that you're in position to be able to take advantage of those opportunities that only come along every 10, 12 years, right? You might get five or six of them max in your life, lifetime. Like so right now, tech is so on sale. Unless you believe that Tesla and Facebook and Amazon is going away, you should be pouring as much money as you should be doing extra launches to get extra money to pour into those companies. This is not investment advice, by the way. This is just what I'm doing. <laughs> But you should be because you're not going to get an opportunity like this maybe ever again because every recession is different. But these are blue chip companies that the minute it bounces back, and I think it's already bouncing back, Wall Street always bounces back six months before Main Street minimum, right? Six to nine months. You're going to be so pissed that you could have bought Tesla at $169 right now. And it's going to be a thousand bucks before you know it. So there's just opportunity abound everywhere, whether it's opportunity to get a client that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, opportunity to get more audience and leads that you wouldn't have been able to get otherwise, or literal opportunity of things in the world that's on sale. So back to what you're worried about, like not having enough capital, how are you approaching that? Like, I mean, that's, that's something somewhere I'm sure most of us are coming up against. I'm trying to think of, what can we leverage, like our audience? What can we build? What can we do 
to create as much capital as possible without giving up almost any of our bandwidth at all so that we don't get split away from our main missions. My main mission, launch a peer-to-peer lending app. Her main mission, launch her company. We've got some ideas that we're kicking around. That's, you can tell I'm thinking out loud right now. That's the answer, is when you ask a better question, you get a better answer. Our question right now is, how do we leverage everything that we've built in the past to increase capital so that we don't have to give up bandwidth for capital? I'm Keith and excited to be here. Grateful for your podcast and everything that I've listened to for the last three years. It's gotten to me, had a huge impact. One of the things that I did early on was I bought your um, uh, money mindset. Money principles. Yes. So I did that probably three years ago, and that was hugely helpful for me. I'm now three years into it, and I'm in a different financial level than I was then. Yeah. And I'm realizing I have a new set of money mindset stuff to break through. And so I'm just curious, you went through this over the last hour, you know, eight years or whatever it's been. Any specific advice that when you kind of get to the, without being too blunt, a multiple six figures and go, going through the mindset of, okay, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. I don't want to spend money. I'm, I'm still behaving the same way I was. And, and my both my wife and I are kind of processing this in different ways. And it's a really cool place to be, but it's also new things to try to figure out. A lot of the challenges that we as entrepreneurs face when it comes to limiting money mindsets. One of the most common ones is I'm afraid to spend that dollar that might make me too. So what if it doesn't work? And that comes from the place of thinking you're never going to replace that dollar again. And the truth is, if you look back at your history, you've always found a way to replace that dollar. So it's a completely and utterly illegitimate fear. Yet it's a very common one that everybody shares. And when you take that and expand it out, it just, you're talking about as you go up through the ranks, it becomes, oh, I'm afraid to spend the hundred grand that may or may not get me the two. I'm afraid to spend the million that may or may not get me the two and so on and so on. That piece doesn't change. It's just different levels. So what you have to do is you have to go and seek evidence showing that it works, not just evidence showing that you've always done one of two things, either gotten the return or found a way to replace that money after you did not get the return. But equal or more importantly, go find evidence of other people that did how they did it and why it worked. I left this mastermind a couple of weekends ago, completely and utterly reset once again on just how much money people are making doing things that are not spectacular, but they're doing them in spectacular ways. That is evidence. That is proof. That was a reminder. And it lit both of us just on fire, on fire. We're just... Back to what I was telling you. We're in this ideation phase right now. I can't name names, but one person gets $500,000 per speech two times a month. That made me say, oh, I can't get speaking fees up. Somebody else in there is a billionaire from selling a stake in a company that they had that says, oh, got to invest in even more startups. Somebody else in there is printing a million dollars a month on YouTube ads. Oh, better start doing videos. It was the evidence and the proof that I needed to get my tail in gear and ask better questions and go build something better. The answer would be the same for you. You're already doing it in here right now. 
And if this isn't giving you the answers that you need, then you need to seek additional rooms to get additional answers. Chris, real, real quick, can you tell us once you get to that, that level and you, a few people were talking about, especially this time of year or, you know, a month ago, tax, like things like quick and easy things that we can do towards the end of the year to save on taxes. I know you have like a slew of different things of like, I invest in this so that I didn't have to pay the IRS that. Yeah. Do you have like a top five of things that have worked for you? Do your tax planning proactively, not reactively. So understand the difference between an accountant and an actual CFO and or tax planner. Because a lot of the saving of taxes is done throughout the year. It's not done when you're like, oh, gee, I better go make that $5,000 contribution to this IRA before April so that I can still get the, the write-off, right? Make sure you've got an incredible bookkeeper, an incredible bookkeeping system so that you're not missing money that's sitting on the table that you would have been able to write off otherwise. Like just real show of hands, how many of you have one dedicated business account, one dedicated business card, one bookkeeper who then logs everything from those two things into your books and makes sure that your accountant gets them so that you don't miss a single deduction? How many people? Hey, that's pretty good. About a third of the room. If not, this is your wake-up call right now because you're probably missing out on 2x the number of deductions because it's as simple as they weren't spent in one place on one card that your bookkeeper was able to easily go move it over into QuickBooks. So get that system set up right away. Right there would just double your your write-offs because you're already spending the money. All right. I was going to ask you about money mindset. So I have to think of another question. I'm Alessia, by the way. Grateful to be here with all of you. Okay. So the room you were just in, you and Lori, all of you are extremely successful. And I feel like the more successful you become, the more difficult it can be to stay grounded and true to what really matters. So how do you and Lori stay grounded? Did you hear any tips on that in the room you were in? Anything on that note would be great. What a great question. One of the questions when, you remember, I said, here's what's working and here's what we're struggling with. One of the things that one of the gentlemen was struggling with was everything is just crushing it right now. Every business is hitting. Every funnel is hitting. Like everything that this person ever wanted, it's coming true. And as a result, he's become extra busy. And because he's extra busy, every time he walks out of his home office, to run to the fridge to get something in between meetings. His wife will try and say something to him and he'll snap at her. And when he said, this is what I'm struggling with, who's got some solutions around how to be a better husband when things get busy? Because I don't want to show up and, and be the person that snaps. My hand went up. I'm like, oh man, I do the same thing. I'm so glad that you just said that out loud. And someone else's hand went up like, hey, I do the same thing. And someone else's hand went up and said, dude, I'm guilty of this too. It's making sure you're around quality enough people where the conversations aren't always about where the next opportunity is in terms of money or success, but more so, or at least equal, the conversations are around how do I make sure that I'm doing the right thing by the people that matter while I'm over here doing really big things. And that just comes down to being so strict about 
who are you letting have an influence on your life? And who are you kind of keeping at an arm's distance because they don't behave or represent themselves in a way that you don't want to accidentally start to take on? I think that's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer is, I would like to say it's something we're doing, but I go all the way back to my mom and dad. They instilled into us like family first, you take care of your family. And they didn't preach it, they demonstrated it. The other day, Lori and I were talking about my dad and we're like, we've never heard him complain. We want to be that way. We don't, I feel like I'm a complainer and it's something I'm working on. I can't think of a time, and I'm not exaggerating. Actually, I saw Nick walk in. I don't know if he's around the corner back there. I can't think of a time I ever heard my dad complain. He was the first person up in the morning, the first person to come and build a deck for you, the first person to snow blow the, the neighbor's driveway, the first person to drop what he's doing and, and be there for you. And not once, not once was it, oh, I'm tired. Not once was it, oh, I don't feel like it. Not once was it, oh, that son of a bitch. Never any, not one complaint that I can remember in the 43 years that I knew him. So while half of the answer is we're very strict about who we let have an influence on us, the other half is we're just flat out lucky that we had the right examples instilled into us growing up. Your dad sounds like my grandpa, by the way. I think it's the Midwest thing. It's totally a Midwest thing. Yeah. Thank you. I'm Haley and I'm grateful actually for your daily texts. They are every day. Awesome. So thank you for that. Okay. So what do you, or how do you manage like when business is great and you have all this revenue income and then you or I have reinvested it back with the faith that like, this is going to bring return. And then you're like, there's nothing coming in and now you're screwed. So how do you manage that? You create more money coming in. Like This is almost what we were talking about before. And I know you're like, thank you, Captain Obvious, but let me expand. Yeah. Yeah. It's your duty to go create more revenue and figure out how to have more money coming in because you're doing the right thing if you are deploying all your dollars to go out and fight for you. So horrible metaphor, but just like in war, when you deploy soldiers, some of them win the battle and some of them die and they never come back. This is the same thing with your soldiers, your money that you are sending out to fight the battle for you. We keep a little more than one year's runway for our our business expenses and personal expenses. Liquid. Every dollar beyond that, we deploy. Mm. And not all of them are winning bets. But the ones that are, I'm sure glad that I deployed those dollars. And it creates this back against the wall necessity. Like, damn it, I want to take advantage of this opportunity. I want to invest in this thing. I better find a way to create more capital. Because if you didn't deploy them, if you just let them sit in an account somewhere and pile up, there's two problems with that. The first problem is it wouldn't create this back against the wall urgency for you to go find another way to create more revenue because you'd feel flush, right? Good's the enemy of great. The other problem is if they're not out fighting for you, what's the purpose of having them? They just sit there slowly evaporating with, with inflation. So we're trained growing up by the banks and by people who loved us but had no business teaching us about money that the right thing to do is put as much money into your checking and savings and pay off your home as quick as you can. It's the dumbest fucking advice on the planet. Keep one year worth of runway. 
don't let home equity just sit rotting in your home because your home's going to go up the same amount, whether you owe nothing on it or everything on it, as long as you have a payment that obviously you've got the 12 months runway for. And go deploy every dollar you get to go out and fight for you. And it makes you uncomfortable. I get uncomfortable. We were just talking about there's opportunities I want to take advantage of that I can't right now. Why? Because all my money's deployed. It's deployed in Web3 investments, which are in the tank right now. So I can't go sell some of those investments because I'd be locking in the losses. It's deployed in the stock market and especially in the tech sector. I'm real heavy on tech. I've been dollar cost averaging my way down. Jim and I talk about this all the time. Every single day, every day there's a dip. I dollar cost average my way down. The problem is I can't sell any of that because I'd be locking in losses. So you're planting seeds, as many seeds as you possibly can. And sometimes those seeds are in the ground and you don't get to go dig them up again until they turn into a crop in a year or two years or five years later down the road. But that's what a seed's supposed to do. It's supposed to germinate in the ground and turn into a crop for you one day. All of those seeds kept in the barn in a fucking knapsack aren't going to do anything for you other than make you say, I don't need any seeds. I got a whole barn full of them. But then as they slowly rot, you end up with no seeds and no crop. So use this to be the fuel that makes you go out and say, how could I make another revenue source? How could I create more revenue out of what I'm already doing? How could I find more money to go invest or do whatever it is that you're looking to do? And be okay with the losing bets. We once invested in a mastermind. It was $74,000. This was when we were pretty new to masterminds. And it was the worst mastermind I have ever been in in my life. We went to the first weekend. We didn't even go to the other two, we being Lori and I. I mean, everything about this thing sucked. But was it a lost investment? No. Because I learned everything that I would not want to do if I ever ran one myself. And that has paid dividends for years now. So sometimes even your quote unquote bad investments pay off in ways that you never expected, but you got to look for the payoff. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm incredibly grateful that you and Lori founded this room and continue to influence the people who make it possible for us to be here. I have a question. I'm about a year into running a business and I'd like you to kind of expand on this hunch, but I have a feeling that right now human connection is really important. So in terms of prioritizing courses or small group or mastermind, I'm really leaning towards creating, I guess, programs that really involve connection and that FaceTime. And do you think that's important, especially at that stage? I'm so glad you asked this. Listen, I've been saying this for a couple of years now, kind of in my inner circle, and now we're seeing it manifest. He or she, that takes that extra step that spends the extra money and takes the extra time to go out to all the, the hot spots on a heat map where your audience is and put together small rooms, 25 here, 50 there, 10 there, put together dinners, do those things. They're going to reap all the benefits of filling their programs like this. Online is crowded. In person, like massive events is crowded the overhead of doing it in an intimate way, because sometimes on paper, it doesn't look as sexy as the big scaled ways. That's the extra mile right now. There's very little competition. I don't know if you guys saw last week, my wife and Lindsay Schwartz, they took this idea and they're running with it. They found a studio in town and 
did a live podcast where they recorded two episodes in a row. The studio could only fit 40 people, but to them, it wasn't about the size of it. It was about, can we physically get in front and connect with our literal listeners? And then can we invite them to ask questions that if you want to know what your people want to know, just ask them. It's like the answers to the test. And can we get content out of it and video content? Out? They killed so many birds with one stone that night. That's what's working right now. You are a genius for asking this. Book the rooms, get on the airplane, go get in a group of 15, get back on the airplane, go to another town, get in front of a group of 25. And people will love you and connect with you and share your intimate setting. And guess what? Now you're marketing online, but they're doing it for you to their audiences. It's everything right now. Clear your calendar and get out there. Perfect. So I feel like we're in a state, Marina, still. Um, I'm glad it hasn't changed. Um, I feel like we're in a state. You don't have to stay who you were yesterday. (laughs) I feel like we're in this era of entrepreneurship and there's so much content and coaches and consultants that are like, don't give up. You're doing great. Like do all the things, get in the room, like all of the things. You're also an investor. What are things that you would say that are like, hey, like how do you know if the business just sucks? Your idea sucks. Like you're not going to be able to do this. Like like throw in the towel. Do you ever say that to someone? Yes. And and what are the things that make that? Like what is, is there a timeline that you're like, hey, like, no. I once heard Mr. Wonderful. You guys know who that is from Shark Tank? Kevin Harrington? Yeah, Kevin Harrington? No. Um, O'Leary, who wore one of your watches, by the way. How, how dope is that? I once heard him say, if your business hasn't succeeded in 36 months of consistent effort, take it behind the barn and shoot it. I would agree with that mostly. I would agree with that mostly. With the caveat of you also then have to give it at least 36 months of consistent effort. I think where people's business ideas die is they give it a six-month effort or a 12-month effort or an 18-month effort or a two-year effort. Stuff just takes longer than that. It just does. Lori raised capital for Light Pink in started in January of 2020, I believe. I could be off by a month or so. And then this little unknown thing happened called the pandemic. And then supply chain issues, and then inflation, maybe even hyperinflation. And then everything else crumbled. This has been probably almost three years of trying to get this formulation out. And then all of a sudden she woke up one day and her margins were gone because of the economy. And her reward for finally getting on shelves is losing money on every sale. And fighting the alcohol licensing board on small, dumb little things. After giving it about a three-year effort, she did her version of taking it behind the barn and shooting it, which is pivoting, same company, rebranding to something that has way higher margins and is in an adjacent space. 
I think that's the perfect example of giving it enough time and enough consistent effort and not being afraid to pivot when it's starting to drag on too long. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And then my other question for that is when it comes to investing in companies, I'm realizing that product companies are, you just get more investment because it's not dependent on that like one human or a bunch of humans. So with that, I am a personal brand strategist. Like I, I literally help people build their personal brand so then they can do all the things that they want to do. The problem with that is now everything is dependent on you. Like your business is dependent on you. So similar to you and Laura, you have your personal brands, you have the masterminds, you have the consulting for you to scale. Like how do you scale that when, again, it comes down to like you and your energy and your expertise. Like people don't want to hire someone else. You don't necessarily have to scale that, but you also can, right? I mean, let's take, uh, let's take Brendan Bouchard. He's a great example. He started out as the guy that told the story how he got in a car accident and, and that car accident made him realize that he had to ask himself, did you live? Did you love? Did you matter? And then that turned into a, a book and, and that book turned into, he's great at marketing. So some marketing books and that turned into conferences. He has like eight conferences a year. And there was a time many years ago, let's see, this would have been 2019, I believe, 2018, this would have been 2018, that I went to a seminar, this was before I knew him, and he was pulling up his Kajabi, because he had just bought part of Kajabi, and he's like, on the stage, there's 500 people in the, the room, or 1,000 people in the room, he's like, let me, let me just show it. Somebody sling this on the screen. He's logging in. And when you log in, what's there? Your, your sales, your homepage. And this was October. And it said 41 million something, something, something. This was just his Kajabi, right? Not all the other things, just his Kajabi. And I remember looking at being like, holy fuck. <laughs> this dude has slung that many courses and, and tickets and, and whatnot through Kajabi. That's scaling. That's just a human. So it doesn't always have to be a product. You just have to scale your message to more humans in a way where you're not trading your exact time for their dollar. And that has now led into when Kajabi sold. I don't know what his take was of it, but probably had a B in front of it. And the other ventures, his growth day app that he built right now, the valuation on that thing is in the multiple nine figures already. So if you be the personal brand long enough, it brings the opportunities that will be adjacent to your personal brand. And those opportunities are what can scale out of control. Okay, one last question on that. Yeah. Okay, so... I have an example of someone that Jacqueline Johnson, when she was about to sell Create and Cultivate in 2018, she went to get funding and they're like, no, like we don't want to fund and we don't want to sell because it is dependent on you. And again, I'm an advocate for personal brands. Like that's literally what I do. But so she couldn't sell her company. And so she had to pull herself away and position her company as the go-to, like whatever. And then in 2021, they sold. So like, how do I explain that? It is so important because I do believe it's really important to have a personal brand, but also argue that like 
actually it could fuck you over in a couple of years if you're like too attached to the business because then people only want you and they don't want the business. But it didn't fuck her over. Look, she stole it. And now she has a really cool VC firm, right? Yeah. All she had to do, these are all stages of awareness. Her stage of awareness was, hey, this is amazing. We're printing money. I'd like to sell this. And then she got feedback. And that feedback was, hey, we're going to handcuff you to this thing if we buy it. And she's like, no, no, no. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to sell it and go do something else. And so she had to go back to the drawing board, enter a different phase, restructure it so that it wasn't so dependent on her, but instead was a living, breathing brand of its own, and then go find suitors for it. That was only a three-year difference, right? No, not even like 24-month difference. Yeah. 24 months is a very small period in her timeline of kicking ass. Sometimes it just takes feedback and adjusting and feedback and adjusting. So I, I know that the premise of your question is, oh, she trapped herself by being the personal brand in there. You dig up a few stories like Brendan, like Jacqueline, and any of your other favorite personal brands that have scaled in, in great big ways to the hundreds of millions. And you demonstrate those stories to them when they bring up those concerns. At the end of the day, if I had to err on the side of, of just having a company or just having a personal brand, I would take a personal brand all day long because the personal brand, the personal brand brings you so many more opportunities. The personal brand is why you can pivot and sell way more than someone who doesn't have one. The personal brand is why when we launch this app, we're going to be able to have way more traction than somebody who doesn't have a personal brand and doesn't have a podcast and doesn't have connections and would have to do organic outreach from there. Hell, the, my personal brand is why the investors in this app are going to be all strategic, famous investors that you know so that we can launch it on their platforms. None of that happens without a personal brand. If you don't have a thriving personal brand, everything else is just tougher. It really is. So I'm a massive advocate of have a personal brand, even if you have to be handcuffed a little bit at first, because the opportunities to scale will reveal themselves down the road and you might have to adjust. You may not have to, but they'll come. Hi, Hi. I'm Jeanette. Nice to see you. I'm grateful to be in this room with you and with everyone here. It feels like a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with overworking and with burnout and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or advice on how to keep your hard work and your success sustainable. So, so many of us are multi-passionate, high-performing, but reach a level of, okay, I've, I'm doing too much. It's okay to reach that level. I think everybody's going to reach that level because you are such a driven person. You're going you're gonna to stretch and you're going to stretch and you're going to stretch some more and you're going to wake up one day and say, oh, this sucks. This is not what I wanted to wake up doing. The awareness of that is when you get to make a couple of adjustments and then go back out to battle again. Those adjustments you make over time are things like, oh, I need to prioritize in my calendar the things that fill me up first before I pour out my cup to other people. They are things that are aligned with your long-term goals and your long-term vision. Like if your long-term goal is I want to make sure that my significant other and I are just the tightest duo ever, then you make adjustments to support that long-term goal. It's inevitable that you're going to reach moments of burnout if you guys are going to choose to, to be in this sport. But that's okay. What's not okay is to not make significant adjustments to get realigned 
Like when you hit a pothole and your alignment goes out on your, your, your car and you go into the shop and they give you an alignment, you get realigned. It's okay to hit the pothole. It's not okay to not bring it into the shop and to drive on your wobbly ass wheel forever. I will tell you, make sure that you are checking in and measuring what matters at all times. Like have a literal way to measure what matters. This is kind of neat. Jim, you're going to get to see this. One of the perks of having a tech team is you get to build tech when you think of it. So I was like, man, I want the mastermind to really measure what matters. And I built this app along with Nick. I should really say Nick built it because I said, Nick, here's the idea. Make this happen. And he did masterfully. He went to our tech team and he had them build this app where every month they're checking in on the things both personally and professionally that matter the most to them so that we can look and say, hey, that thing's slipping. Did you see that this is slipping? We got to talk about it right now. Hey, this thing's thriving. Did you celebrate that it's gone from here to here? If you guys aren't measuring what matters, then you're just going to get caught up in the minutia of reacting to success or not success. But both of them are going to lead you down a, a highway of chaos and, and doing things that you don't necessarily want to be doing. So getting really clear on what matters to you and then measuring it, checking in on a regular basis, I think is the healthiest, best thing you can do. If you were building a wellness community for those entrepreneurs who are burning out and struggling, what would be the must-have components you would include in that community for them? A tool for them to measure what matters. And I don't mean go out and build an app, start a spreadsheet. Do you know where this thing came from? We did a couples mastermind one year, just one year. There's a hundred grand to join, six couples joined. And we did it because it was what we knew we needed that year to force Lori and I to go out and do the trips and do the vacations and do this stuff. It was when she was first getting started in her company and, and I was completely just not happy and misaligned. And we're like, we need to do something this year totally different to put us first. So what's the better way to do that? Enroll other people to hold you accountable. And then you got to show up. When we did that, that year, we built a spreadsheet, a simple Google Doc spreadsheet that we sent out to the other couples. Say, hey guys, every month, let's jump on Zoom. Let's rate these things before we jump on Zoom. And then let's talk about, hey, where are we winning and, and what's slipping and, and what advice do you have for each other as couples? That was the, the seed that turned into this app that we built for the mastermind coming up. The reason I share that is it's just a simple as Google Doc. You can do that. So build a tool, make them measure what matters, make the commitment enough where they have to show up for it. We charged a hundred thousand bucks for the couples so that they wouldn't not show up. Okay. This September, I went to Italy and it was one of these trips that my friend Rob Murgatroy puts on. That trip was $50,000 just for the one trip. We spent the 50 grand not for the trip. We spent the 50 grand to make sure we'd follow through with going because guess what? We almost didn't go. Lori and I are notorious for booking a trip but not getting on the plane or booking the weekend but then just staying in the house unless we have such serious skin in the game that we're like, oh, we're not getting that 50 grand back so might as well get on that fucking plane. And that ends up being the best thing in our life. So you're not hurting people when you make them have skin in the game. You're helping them show up when they have skin in the game. That's the second thing I would do. The third thing I would do is I would ask them what they need 
and then build it around that. Of course, keeping it aligned with what's a good product and, and not just over-serving for nothing. But too many times, no matter what your business is, you guys build this, this Frankenstein. You're like, I know what they want. They want bolts in the ears and they want this thing to be seven feet tall and they want it to be strong. And, and, and then you reveal your Frankenstein. Everyone, you're like, why is nobody like my Frankenstein? Because nobody wanted a seven foot tall dude with bolts in his ears. If you would have asked them, they would have told you exactly what to build. So I'd go out to them and ask them. I'm Kyle. I am grateful to be a sponge in a room full of knowledge. So thanks to everybody. I'm curious. I'm a new entrepreneur. I'm new to self-actualization. I'm working on all that. When was your aha moment? Was that in corporate? Was it after? You know, where did that happen to kind of get you going? Because I feel like it's really helping me. But I'm just curious what your experience was with it. Congratulations, man. I'll share my aha moment. I was in corporate America forever, working for the world's largest bank. And I had a great career until the last recession hit and had to start completely over from scratch, literally as, as a person and financially, because we're living beyond our means. And when the music stopped, whew, had to start over. That was not the moment. That moment led me to take a partnership in a little startup mortgage brokerage at the time. I called it four turds in a shop. And we grew that thing into a significant mortgage bank, lending $330 million a year of our own money in a time when everybody else was closing theirs. That wasn't the moment. I share those contexts because it was in that transition into entrepreneurship where I woke up and realized I needed to do something different because I really wasn't happy. And that something different revealed itself to me in a way that I didn't want to participate. There was this guy at the, the mortgage bank. His name was Chris Beadle. And for the most part, Chris Beadle is not the kind of guy you take advice from. But he heard about this thing coming to town that he's been to before and he swore by it. And it was called Landmark Forum. Anyone ever been to Landmark Forum? It's a three-day self-development. Get into a room of 50 people and really do some deep digging with, with a, a counselor that kind of leads it. I came home and I'm like, babe, I don't know if I want to do this or I don't want to do it, but I'm just kind of telling you about it. And she said, we're going. And deep down, I think I wanted her to say we're going, but I wouldn't have said we're going myself. Now, prior to this, I have none, I've done no self-development whatsoever. None, zero. So we go to this weekend called Landmark Forum. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I get in there Friday. I was a very different person back then. So I'm just always telling the story the way it is. I get in there Friday. And what you have to do is, is you have to take turns getting up in front of the room and, and talking to this counselor. And, and they kind of undress you a little bit and, and get to the core real quickly of, of whatever ails you. And after about 10 or 15 people go, I'm like, man, these people are fucked up. I am so glad I'm not you guys. <laughs> right? Like really judgmental. By the end of that weekend, I was the most transformed, reformed, brand new sites of, of how I viewed life type of individual you could ever imagine in terms of just a, a short 72 hours. That was the moment, I forgot the terminology you used, that it all changed. That was when I learned things like 
building stories and, and running rackets in your head and, and uh, that nothing has any meaning other than the meaning that you apply to it. I can't tell you how freeing all of that stuff was. And from that moment on, I sold out my shares to my partner because it was a very toxic partnership in the mortgage bank. And uh, that's when I came home. It's when Lori took off on the rocket ship. That weekend was probably the the seed, the precipice for everything that you guys see today. All right, you guys, let's give it up for the one and only. It's over already? Yeah. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.